Okay, you can do it. Yeah, yeah, fine. It's after Thanksgiving. Go ahead and... Oh, hi, it's Pete Pomisano, and welcome to another edition of Off-Road, RLTP's Off-Road. And this week, we have an interview with a legacy restaurateur. Well, actually, the restaurant is legacy, but the restaurateur is merely a genetic continuation of a legacy restaurant from Buffalo. It's the famous Ditando's restaurant, now being carried on by the lovely and talented Rita Ditando and her husband, Fabio. Rita is the great-granddaughter of the original Ditando's owner, and Rita herself is a trained sommelier. And her husband, Fabio, is a classically trained Italian chef. And they bought this restaurant, and they have been doing an, a two-year rebuild of the site. And now it is open for dinner. Now it is Ditando, an elegant place to experience real Italian cuisine. And since it's a Buffalo mainstay, or was for a long, long time, and they've brought it back, we thought it would be a nice thing to talk to them and see what's new, see what's happening at the new Ditando. Now, I should warn you that there's a little bit of noise going on in the background because I was at this lovely restaurant, and I spoke to Rita in one of the beautifully remodeled rooms overlooking a patio, but there was, of course, it's a, it's a working restaurant. There's noise in the background as they are preparing the dishes for the day. But that just gives it an air of authenticity, doesn't it? Yeah, let's go with that. But before we get to Rita, let's start with Michelle Holden, who is the moderator of RLTP's Off Book series, which is a sort of a talkback online, on Zoom. So if you'd like to know more about plays, join Michelle once every production for this online Zoom talkback. Here's a little quickie interview with Michelle Holden here on RLTP's Off-Road. I think it's really important that people get to meet you. And so let's introduce you. You are Michelle Holden, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Where'd you come from? What do you do? And and then we'll get into what Off-Book is. Sure. Well, I'm actually Buffalo born and bred. So I grew up in the northern suburbs of Buffalo and then went off to school. So Notre Dame for a little while studied both English literature and vocal performance with the intent on doing both in life. Went for a short jaunt to Austria to do some singing and then came back and just wanted to be home in Buffalo. And so I tried to find what different paths would allow me to um, accomplish that. And one of them was to continue to try to perform in whatever way I could. But then also I come from a family of teachers. And so I ended up kind of assuming that skill set. And I started to teach high school English. And then just since then have been, as I said, trying to be involved in whatever way I can in theater and literature and music and all those wonderful activities that Buffalo is so well known for. Well, that's wonderful. Where do you teach? I'm at Williamsville South. And prior to that, I was in Akron for a year. But yeah, that's been my home for a number of years now. And it's a great place to be. So you are also the moderator of Off Book. 
Uh, so you and I share a, a preposition, I guess. This is off-road, you're doing off-book. Explain to everybody what off-book is, and let's see if we can't drum up some business. Sure. So off-book is a term that actors often use to denote having memorized the script and they're ready to make magic with their fellow actors. And we use that term in the same way in the sense that we use the script as a launching off point for discussion with not only actors who are in a production, but also people who are backstage kind of performing the magic, whether it be sound design or set design or costume design. And we use all of those kind of- Jumping off points. Exactly. Input into the productions to kind of talk about, well, what is this play about? And I think what's really neat about Off Book is, you know, I'm sort of a backstage junkie. I love going to talkbacks and, you know, different tours of costumes and things like that. But what I realized in some of those is that sometimes you'll go to see a play and then immediately after you're talking about it. And I feel like sometimes audiences, at least for myself, you need that time to let things percolate. So you go to a play like Guards of the Taj and you think, oh my gosh, let me think about this. What does it mean? And what Off Book sort of allows for is you go to see the play and then later on during the week or maybe a few weeks later, you can hop on Zoom and you can say, okay, well, I've had time to think about this and let it kind of percolate and what rises to the surface and what lines do I still remember and what images are still sticking in my head. And at that point, the way the off book is set up is that I introduce two guests, usually every week that we do it. One is kind of a production staff member and one is an actor. And I start by asking moderated questions to kind of get the ball rolling. And I ask them to introduce themselves. So that also allows the audience to kind of get back into the mind frame of the play. And while that's happening, they have an opportunity to type in the chat any questions or comments that they have that then towards the end of our conversation, I ask and it offers people kind of a low stakes opportunity to get their thoughts out there, but also to engage in a way that I think is really interesting because often our guests interact in, in interesting ways. So for instance, when we did Hand to God, we had Dan Ertz and then Adam who created the puppets. And one of our big questions was, well, the chicken and the egg question, which comes first? Is it that there's a puppet created and the actor bases kind of his interpretation off what that looks like or vice versa? So that's sort of the fun of having a production staff member and also an actor is that you get kind of that interaction of, well, how do they work together as well? And that's, I think, one of the things I really enjoy about doing it. That's a great explanation of what it is, but we did bury the lead here in, in that we did not even tell people that it's a, it's an online discussion, Zoom discussion group that anyone can join. It, correct me if I'm wrong on this, by the way. Let's just briefly talk about the mechanics of it. How do you join? It's through Zoom. So anyone with a computer or a phone or you know a smartphone can join in and it happens what, three or four times a year, one for each show? Fill in the blanks for me. Sure. Yes, anyone who is an audience member, it's free to join. And the way to find it is through the Road Less Traveled website. And if they follow to the off-book link on the Road Less Traveled website, they'll see that right there embedded is a sign-up genius sheet. And in that sign-up genius sheet, if they sign up to attend, there's a link right there to the Zoom. So it's easy to find. And yes, essentially anyone who has a phone, a computer, any sort of device that can go online, even if you don't know how to work the video or if you're not sure how the audio works, you can absolutely join and, and listen in. 
you don't have to participate, but it's as easy as sort of a click of a button. And from there, yes, every time that there's a production with Road Less Traveled, um, usually about, I think we're scheduling them about three or four weeks into the run so people have a chance to see the show and then discuss. And or if they want a little preview of some of the things that might happen in the show, they have a chance to come and sit in and hear from actors and production staff and then maybe look for those things when they go to a production as well. So it's been happening in the last few iterations on Wednesday nights at around 7 p.m. Lasts about 45 minutes, sometimes an hour if people have lots of questions. And what's nice about it, like you said, is you can attend from the comfort of your own home. So you can kind of sit back and, and listen or interact as much as as you like, which I think is one of the benefits too. So if you don't have a lot of questions to ask, we still welcome people to come because um, I think you'll get a good conversation out of it. So correct me if I'm wrong. If if I join, I can click on, I don't even have to, you, you don't even have to turn your camera on. You could just be sort of a fly on the wall and listen to the conversation and listen. There may be spoilers if, if you haven't seen the show, I, I imagine, but you can just sort of listen to the conversation. You don't have to participate. You don't have to do anything except join it in the uh, the listening experience. That's exactly right, which is also another, you know, a great way to do it. If you have a talk back and you feel like, oh, I have to a ask a question right now, you don't have to. We do ask you to put your name down so that we can, when you sign in, so we can make sure that the right attendees are coming into the Zoom room. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, you can keep your camera off. You can type as much or as little in the chat as you like. And it's, again, just an opportunity to hear some different voices. It's really interesting, I think, to hear about across the board, some of the different actors' processes. Again, the different aspects of how, for instance, a director might interact with the different production roles to create a production. So I think there are lots of there are lots of benefits and you can come in and come out, right? So if you only have a half an hour and we're we're still asking questions, we just welcome people to have a deeper experience of theater. And I think that's what I think that's actually what attracted me to Roadless Traveled in the first place too. I think the first production I saw was Frankenstein. And I had been teaching it at the time and I thought, oh gosh, I have so many questions that I want to ask these people. And so I, I contacted Scott and kind of the story started from there. But I think anyone who who has just a little bit of an interest in, well, how did they do that? Or what does it take to put this on would find that they have a, an in-depth experience. So if you're the kind of person like I am, who enjoys talkbacks, but unlike myself, you would rather not be pressured into questioning or, or feel like you need to ask a question. This is an online talkback. And it only happens once for every show, as opposed to some theaters, and I, I believe Road Less Traveled for a while did did talkbacks with, with some regularity. But this is now an online talkback, and you can uh, just join in the conversation just listening. Here's something we haven't covered. When is the off-book session for Guards at the Taj? Because I was there opening night, and oh boy, did I have a lot of questions, and I'm sure that others will as well. So our next presentation will be at 7 p.m. next Wednesday, and that is on December 7th. And if you take a look again at the Road Less Traveled website, it's under programs. So if you are on the main page and you hit programs, if you scroll down, 
right below this podcast, you will see Off Book. And there's a link right there to the different productions. If you click on the one for Guards at the Taj, the Sign Up Genius will pop up and uh, you'll have a chance just to enter your name. It'll provide the Zoom link for you right there. And again, just a, an opportunity for you to get a new view of things. I think that's great. I think we've covered everything we need to cover. The Road Less Traveled website is roadlesstraveledproductions.org, all one word, .org, not .com or anything like that. And uh, you can find it by clicking on programs and going to my preposition buddy, off book, as opposed to off road. And I, I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun. Okay, Michelle Holden, it was lovely talking to you and finally meeting you. I, I look forward to meeting you in person someday, but I appreciate yeah. you coming on and, and telling us all about Off Book. And Pleasure to be here. I will see you again soon. Okay, that sounds great. Take care, Michelle. Yeah, bye. That's Michelle Holden from Off Book. Check it out. And now, without further ado, from the new restaurant, Ditando, to tell us all about why she left Buffalo, why she came back to Buffalo, and why she now owns the hottest restaurant in town. This is Rita Ditando herself. And don't worry about the noise because we're, we're in a working restaurant a gorgeous working restaurant with beautiful, a beautiful view of outside. And I didn't even realize you had a, a little patio out there. Yeah. I, you know, I last week I thought to myself, I, I think I'll sneak in. To, do you have people sitting at the bar and eating? We have. We intended it to be a standing bar, mm -hmm. which is very traditional in Italy. Oh yeah, sure, a standing bar. Yes, excuse um, me. So it's been a bit of a, an experiment to see if people <laughs> will stand at the bar and enjoy a drink, mm -hmm. or or if we should consider some bar stools. Would they? So, would people eat at the bar? No, I don't think we're gonna serve food at the bar. Okay. We might have some bar snacks in okay. the future, but we're gonna keep it just for drinks. Okay. You've done some beautiful things with this place, but we'll we'll get to we'll get to all that. Welcome, Rita. Are you still Rita Ditondo? I am. You yes. are. So you've done the, the old-fashioned Italian thing, which is you keep your you keep your name. Correct. Anyway, welcome Rita Ditondo to your restaurant and to Off Road. I appreciate that you take having the willingness to talk to me today, and I'd love to learn all about the, the history of this place, your history. Uh, I did a bunch of research, discovered that you are a trained sommelier, which also impresses the hell out of me. But but you are a local girl originally, right? Yes? I didn't grow up in Buffalo, no. Mm -hmm. My father's from Buffalo. He grew up here, and I was actually born in Dunkirk, so south of here. And then we moved quite a bit, always within upstate New York. Mm -hmm. But um, I grew up in Dutchess County in the along the Hudson River Valley. Okay. Um, and then I went to high school in the Southern Tier, so we... We moved around quite a bit growing and, up. And it was your great-grandfather who opened the original De Tondos, is that, is that yes. correct? Back in 1904? Yes, in 1904 he was down the street, so it was 328 Seneca mm -hmm. Street in partnership with the Battistoni family. Wait a minute, the Battistoni family were neighbors of mine in Amherst. 
they lived a block down the street. Were they the ones who did the... Weren't they into the meats and cheeses and pepperonis and the, those sort of yes, things? Yes, I don't know exactly. I imagine, I'm not sure what branch of the family, but you can see in the old photo up front that it says Ditando and Betistoni on the window of the original location, oh. right, which was right down the street. <laughs> so I did do some research about you. you. You did go to, you went to UB, yes? I did. You did. and, mm-hmm. and your, But your degree there had nothing to do with restauranting. No, I had a degree in economics. And then after UB, I moved to Boston for about a year. Mm-hmm. But I I had done a study abroad program in Italy. Okay. So I had spent six months at La Sapienza, which is a large university in Rome. And I wanted to go back. So after about a year in Boston, I found my way back to Italy through an ESL program. Yes. So I became a teacher and got a job in Calabria. And this has Italian to do with, you, with your minor in, in Italian? Well, not, I mean, <laughs> sort of, yes. I mean, I had always wanted to go to Italy. Even in high school, I wanted yeah. to do a study abroad, but it didn't happen. And, and so I, it was one of my goals going into my undergrad that I was going to do a semester in Italy. Yeah. Oh. So. My daughter went to Italy when she was in high school. Okay. And when she came back to Buffalo, she was just in tears. And I thought, she's so happy to be home. <laughs> but you know that that wasn't the, the She was in tears because she was here instead of there. And yeah. she just, you fall in love with it. You just fall in love with it. So you were also there training at the university there at some point at Piedmont, right? Gastronomic mm-hmm. sciences. But that was that before or That after? was later. That was later mm-hmm. on. Okay, so then this this time you were just serving as a as a teacher? Yeah. Well, I needed to find a way to get back to Italy and be able to stay there. So mm-hmm. that ended up being, you know, my way back. So I taught for a little over a year. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I kind of went back and forth a little bit between New York City, where I worked, and then Italy. And until I got into, I eventually applied and got into a master's program at the University of Gastronomic Sciences. So, At what point did you suddenly dis- take up an interest in, well, not just wine, but gastronomic sciences that has nothing to do with economics? Well, maybe it does have something to do with economics. I don't really know. But uh, all of a sudden, you take a turn to food, really. Am mm-hmm. I wrong about that? And Was there something that, <laughs> or was it just all the great food you were eating there, and you just said, I'd like to learn more about this? Well, the food part was always kind of there. The economics degree was by default. I had no idea what I wanted to do, and I was really good at economics, so they told me I had to declare a major, and uh, economics it was. Um, (laughs) Fortunately, economics is relevant to so many different things that it's proved useful. But food, I mean, I worked in my first restaurant when I was 16, Um, It was a pizzeria, and I worked in restaurants all through college, every summer. One of my first restaurant jobs in Buffalo was at Hutch's when I was at UB. Right. And none of these had anything to do with the original Ditandos. No, I worked here on Friday nights. You did? At the old Ditandos. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then during the summers... Um, while I was doing my undergrad. So I was definitely here and part of it. Yeah. Did you have siblings who also were, were part of the of the working group of people at the Tondos? So I have a brother, mm-hmm. um, a younger brother, and he, he never worked at Detondos. 
he doesn't have strong ties to the restaurant industry. Um, he did work in hospitality for a little bit, mm-hmm. and he's definitely a people person by nature. <laughs> so we all kind of have some hospitality roots, I think. Sure you do. Sure you do. Um, yeah. So now you're taking up the gastronomic sciences in, in Piedmont, in Italy, and, mm-hmm. and how does that go? Well, it was great. It was a wonderful program to kind of pull together lots of different interests. It, mm-hmm. you know, it focused on history, anthropology, production methods for, you know, the main European products. So olive oil, wine, tomatoes, you know, everything kind of that falls under that Mediterranean umbrella. Mm-hmm. It was a good place to bring together lots of different pieces of knowledge chemistry and and then the one part of that whole program that really stuck out to me was the focus on wine so that's when I got really serious about working in the wine industry you know I had worked in restaurants with strong wine programs I'd worked at Tribeca Grill in New York they Mm -hmm. have a really great wine program and we had a really great SOM team there so I had started to learn but at the University of Gastronomic Sciences is when it really kind of came together and I was like, okay, this is, I want to focus on, on wine. How interesting. And the degree is a master's in gastronomic, what what is the actual degree called? So we were the first year they had the program Mm -hmm. and it was still in Italian at the time. Now it's, they've kind of transferred all their master's programs to English. I believe they called it a master's in gastronomic sciences. Hmm. It has a pretty vague... They were figuring it out, and so were we. <laughs> oh, I see. They, they were figuring out what actually the content would be. So, what, like, was it the first or second year that they were offering this particular first degree? Year. First year. We were the first class. I mean, it was an, it's a great program still. We traveled all over Europe, so primarily Spain, France, and Italy, visiting producers, seeing how things were made. So... We got to see, you know, all the production steps and making prosciutto, making um, pasta, secca, mozzarella, wine. Um. None of this has anything to do with actually the business aspect of it. It's all about the food itself, mm-hmm. food and drink, the knowledge of what goes into all of these different <laughs> mortadella and the pepperoni and all of those things. Mm-hmm. You were learning all of that. The stories, the history behind it, the quality analysis. So we learned how to taste olive oils and be able to decipher defects. Oh. And so it's been really great in, in helping us, you know, as a restaurant, be able to select the best products possible, you know. Did it turn out to be more than, better than you expected? Because you go in there and you sort of, you have a rough idea of what you want to study and they have a rough idea of what they want to teach. Did it, did it turn out to be even more enlightening and more fascinating? Because to me, it, that sounds fascinating. And I know nothing about any of that. But it seems to me like it would be something that as you studied it, you would either say, okay, I, this is getting too dry, I'm not interested, or it becomes more and more fascinating. How would you? How would you assess it no I mean it the more you know about something the more layers there are and the more it it's fascinating mm-hmm. so we really got to dig deep in all the stories and that just really enriched my restaurant experience I think coming when I came back to the restaurant industry mm-hmm. because for us it's all about the 
the ingredients and the stories behind them and the work that goes into it before things even get to the restaurant. And then here, it's really about respecting, you know, those agricultural products and the artisanship that goes into making some of them. And even in the back of your mind, were you thinking ahead to, not this place, but just ahead to a restaurant business of some sort? Or were you thinking more of being a behind-the-scenes person in the food industry? When I was doing my master's, I definitely wasn't thinking about opening a restaurant. (laughs) But... In the back of my mind as a child, I had always loved restaurants. Yeah. And I actually found a poster that I had done in middle school, and it said that one day I was going to own a restaurant. And I don't even remember thinking that, but apparently it was always there. Somewhere it was implanted in, 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 the, back in, of my in, mind. in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. So you get your degree from the University of Gastronomic Sciences, and the title of the degree was a, a master's in gastronomic sciences. Mm-hmm. So what's your next step after that? So I went to work for a winery in Franciacorta mm-hmm. after I got my master's, and I, I worked in the marketing department there, department it was a small office with three people but (laughs) we um but your foot was in the door yeah Yeah. it was so they had it was a big project they had four wineries throughout italy that i was actually part i helped open so there was one in tuscany where they made all their red wines one in campania where they did their whites and then in franciacorta we did sparkling wine and they had a small winery on the island of ischia where they did a sweet wine So I was based in Franciacorta and did all of the winery tours, a lot of the marketing and and PR. I see. So I was involved with organizing Vinitali, which is the big wine fair in Italy, and managing that, our stand. Was was your intention to use this as a learning experience, or was your intention to get into the business? I was just learning. I I don't think I knew where I wanted to go with it necessarily. Mm-hmm. I knew I just loved the wine world, wanted to learn more about the ins and outs of a winery. Mm-hmm. And and that's where it started. And at some point it brought you back to the US to, to New York, is that correct? Well, first it brought me back to restaurants. <laughs> I transitioned I loved working for the winery and it was an amazing experience to just, you know, the the vineyards were right outside. So I got to, to go from my apartment to the winery. I would walk through the vineyards and you got to see, you know, the whole season, all the changes, the vines budding, wow. you know, you know, the fruit set, the, when the grapes start to change color, mm-hmm. um, I got to prune, I got to see the whole harvest, you know, I got to see all the things that wineries don't talk about (laughs) or don't want to. I, you know, it was really an enlightening experience. And I loved telling the stories about the winery, but after a while I missed, what I missed most about being in restaurants was that, you know, I was telling many different stories in restaurants. I was dealing with, you know, many different wineries and telling all their stories mm-hmm. instead of just always telling one winery's story. And I like the diversity of working in a restaurant for that. The Ooh. food, you know, is constantly changing. The wine list is, you know, constantly changing. You have all these different stories to tell. Mm. So I actually got back into restaurants in Italy. I took a SOM position in southern Italy back in Calabria for the summer. Okay. And that was kind of my next step, moving from the winery back into restaurants. I see. 
the and then fun. eventually to New York. Yeah. And was the New York thing a, an intentional, did something crop up that an opportunity came or did you say, I'm going back to New York to seek out whatever, whatever I can find? Well, I had, so from Calabria, I went to Lake Garda and I got a beverage director position at a Relais Chateau on Lake Garda. And that turned out to be the summer I met Fabio. Right. So yes. we worked at the same Relais Chateau with, you know, a, a very talented chef who now owns his own restaurant mm. on Lake Garda. And that was kind of my first time where I worked with a strong team of people who are all coming from Michelin-starred restaurants. Mm. They all had, you know, all these stories of working in Paris, of working in Milan, of of the culture uh, around Michelin-starred restaurants, and I was intrigued. So after that summer, I I said to Fabio, I think, you know, I'm gonna go back to New York. I wanna go back to New York and work in a Michelin-starred restaurant. Well, let's let's pause for a second. Let's let's talk about Fabio for a second. He is a classically trained chef mm-hmm. and uh, worked at, at various places, but when you met him, he was at this particular restaurant Mm -hmm. and what was his situation at that point he was not the head chef i would imagine no he was the sous chef still a very young man he was the sous chef and he was the he ran the banquet um, okay the banquets which we did a lot of really high-end um luxury weddings Mm -hmm. and he Uh did in fact work at several michelin starred restaurants in italy and france and and, and so on yes oh that's very cool and this was around 2010 it was, yes, we met in 2010. It was that summer. Mm-hmm. So let's jump ahead now, or back to the story. So now you go to New York, and he comes with you? He does. We met that summer. Mm-hmm. We had sort of secretly dated, I guess. <laughs> um, and was then, it one of those things where employees shouldn't be seeing each other socially, so it was kept a secret? No, I don't think, it, <laughs> I don't think the restaurant felt that way, but I think... I was not keen on dating people from work. Okay. But we had a great summer hanging out. And then at the end of the summer, I said, you know what? I think I'm going, I'm going to go back to New York. And he said, well, I'll come. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Okay. So we moved to New York together. (laughs) And then, and again, you had nothing waiting for you there. You just went, you went with your resume and your degrees and so on. And you said, Let's see what New York can offer us. Mm -hmm. So how did you end up where you did? I applied in a number of places and and went on a bunch of interviews. And then I ended up, I mean, I'll always remember my interview at Per Se. And I'll remember, I mean, I I had done a lot of different things. I'd been involved in management and they were hiring. I don't know if it still works this way, but at the time they only hired you as a kitchen server. So you had to start from like the very the bottom, very bottom and, and work per your se, way up. just for those who don't know, because I didn't, but I looked it up, mm-hmm. one of the Thomas Keller restaurants, correct. correct? Thomas Keller being a pretty famous restaurateur, but chef mm-hmm. who opened up all, all of these restaurants. And per se, it was one of them in New York. Yes, okay. he is one of, I don't know if he's the only or one of very few chefs in the U.S. who has two, three Michelin star restaurants. Wow. So. The French Laundry people may have heard of in California. Mm-hmm. I need to ask you, so at this point, had you completed your sommelier training at this point when you went to New York because you went to the Wine and Spirit Education uh, Trust? You became a wine educator to some degree. Did you, have uh-huh. you, had you completed your training as a sommelier? 
I had started the WSET program mm-hmm. when I went to New York, but I hadn't finished it. I didn't finish it until later. I see, I mm-hmm. see. So you were in, in New York with not the complete training in your resume yet. No, yes. Know. And Fabio had his resume of, of all of the work he had done. Mm-hmm. So how did you get the, the next step, or how did you get into per se? Well, I'm not, I mean, that would be a question for them, because they have a lot of applicants. Yes. Um, but I'll always remember during the interview, the one guy looked at me and he goes, do you really want this job? Like, you're going to have to start out at, at the, the very bottom. bottom, you know, running food and pouring water. And Did he think you were actually sort of overqualified? Well, I think there it just depends on, you know, how hungry you are. Mm. You know, it's it's a lot of work. Yes. It's hard work. Mm-hmm. It's not glamorous. There's a lot of glamour all around you, but you learn, there's the potential to learn so much. I see. And so I said, yes, you know, I want it. And so there, you know, if you had experience, you could move up quite quickly as well. So um, I went from, you know, kitchen serving to being a service bartender, to being a back server, to being a captain. Which pretty much proved how much you wanted it. Yeah, how much you wanted Mm -hmm. it that you moved up so quickly. And then you ended up at what level there? I mean, what was your... A captain. captain. So that's kind of like your lead, your head server. Mm -hmm. There were always four captains um, on the floor during an evening service. I see, Um, I see. And all the time you were absorbing just the restaurant business. Because you did all of those things from the lowest level, you're learning every step of the way all of the things that are necessary to run a, a successful restaurant, which which leads us to probably we should start talking about this restaurant. Yeah. But uh, were there any other steps along the way? Because at some point, you made the decision to come back here. Uh, but did you move on from, per se, to other things? And when did the, the sommelier training culminate? Yeah, so from from Per Se, I mean, Fabio was at Gramercy Tavern, I was at Per Se in New York. Gramercy so, Tavern, another hugely successful and famous mm-hmm. uh, restaurant. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was working with Michael Anthony there, who anyone who's familiar with the Union Square Hospitality Group, mm-hmm. um, he's a really amazing guy and chef. Yeah. Um, but we, Fabio didn't have a green card, um, so his visa expired. I see. And we were kind of deciding what we were going to do. And he got a job offer to be the head chef for a five-star hotel run by the same family we had worked for previously okay. in Italy. Okay. So we left and went back to Italy. Oh. Um, he took the position as a chef at the hotel um, on Lake Garda and... I was able to focus on my wine studies, so I finished the diploma program in London, actually. I did back and forth between London and Italy to finish that, and we spent a few years in Italy. This sounds wonderful. I mean, it probably was a ton of work and a lot of, you know, fear of where your next job was going to be and so on, but boy, what what a tremendous background. You've all these experiences have meant to you. Am I right about that or was it, it just sounds wonderful. Yeah, I'm a bit of a gypsy by nature. So (laughs) after two years, I get antsy in any place. Um, (laughs) So 
it's a lifestyle that I loved. I think if you asked Fabio, he would say he'd never moved so much in his entire life until he met me. But <laughs> and he would prefer to just be settled somewhere. And, and I, don't, I think it, we had a lot of fun moving around. Sure. Um, by the time we got to Buffalo, we were ready to to kind of settle a little bit, though. I think. And so now we have this. The old Detondos, which was more like a family restaurant and a family Italian spaghetti and meatballs sort of place, mm-hmm. right? And had been running for 114 years, and they finally called it quits. They I don't, retired. Yeah, it, it was because it had been run by the great-grandfather and then the grandfather. It, it had come down through the family for mm-hmm. all that time, and as you said... They were tired. Had, had there been any other, do you, that you know of, any other interruptions where they shut down for a few years and then reopened? Or has it, had it been a steady 114 years of serving this this community? No. So it, the history is a little gray, but it would appear that in the move, so they opened down the street in 1904 mm-hmm. at 328. And then at some point in the 30s, um, during the Great Depression, that location either closed or my great-grandfather just was no longer a partner. I'm not sure what happened there. Mm -hmm. But he moved into this location in the 30s. So there was a slight pause, I imagine, between the move from there to here. Yeah, I would imagine. I think, I mean, some of the stories go that he lost everything in the Great Depression and then restarted here a few years later. But there, I don't have any really yeah, I thought reliable. There was a, I thought there was a rumor because when, when they were, when it was becoming clear that they might shut down, mm-hmm. there was, of course, I don't know if you were around at that point, but there was a bit of an outcry. Like, oh no, we can't lose de tondos. It was, it was a, big, a big deal at some point. And I don't know if there was an, an attempt to try to keep it open or or maybe somebody would buy the restaurant and keep the family name or whatever i don't i don't mm-hmm. remember that exactly but ultimately they did they did shut down in 2018 yes right and and so where are you in 2018 we are in seattle seattle <laughs> <laughs> poor Fabio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a poor man. <laughs> How did that? What's going on in Seattle? Well, we went from Italy to Seattle. Yeah, that's a hop um, and a jump. I have an uncle in Seattle um, who I'm very close with, and we were thinking about moving back to the U.S. We had taken a trip out west mm-hmm. and really loved it, and decided, well, we're going to try out the West Coast. So we were in Seattle actually looking for restaurant spaces with the intention of opening a restaurant there. But we had been there a few years and we hadn't found the right space yet when this place came up on the market in Buffalo. Mm -hmm. And who who contacted you and said, hey, 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 uh, there's a spot right here. I assume it must have been family. Yeah, you know, I can't even remember who was the first one to let me know. Because your dad ultimately became involved. Mm-hmm. The lovely gentleman I just met Thank a few minutes ago. I dragged ago. him in. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, you know, I, for a brief moment I said, I should have him sit down too. I bet he's got some stories. But So somebody contacted you and said there's a spot right here at, quote, the old Detondos. And so what were your thoughts then and what were, what were your intentions? Let's go look at it. Well, I had always kind of wondered. You know, I'd been in the restaurant industry for a long time. I, you know. And you had worked here when you were, what, 16, 17 mm-hmm. years old? Yeah. Yeah. 
I had worked here. I had been here. You know, when we would come back to Buffalo, we would come and visit. Fabio had been here. Mm -hmm. It was in the back of my mind. And so when it came up for sale, we we talked about it and we came back to Buffalo and and did look at it and and talked to family. And then we just decided that we were going to do it. It just felt like what was missing for us in Seattle was a feeling, you know, a place that felt like it had roots, it uh, had history, it had a story. Yeah. That's so important to us and, you know, to Italians, you know, as a culture. <laughs> oh, I know. But when you walked so, in the door, tell me, <laughs> try to be honest, did you walk yeah. in the door and say, oh my God, this, we, we, could, we could do wonders with this? Or did you walk in the door and think, oh my God, this place needs some work because it had been operating as a restaurant for all those years mm -hmm. and you know how things are. They, If it ain't broke, don't don't fix it. Yeah. There was mm -hmm. no reason. So did you feel right away that there was there was potential here or did you say there's potential but it's, it's too much? Well, now I would say there's potential <laughs> but it's too much. <laughs> but at the time, you weren't... Well, I didn't know enough about... Um, renovation projects, old buildings, and construction. I got a crash course in that okay. really fast. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's, everyone says, you know, if if I had known, I wouldn't have thrown myself into it wholeheartedly. Yes. You know, there were many large obstacles. But in my little bit of ignorance about renovating, you know, 100-plus-year-old buildings, buildings sure. I was like, oh, yeah, we can do this. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so we did. <laughs> and did you have to do, don't get into details here because I really don't want you to get into it, but, mm -hmm. but were there things like electrical things had to be changed and plumbing things had to be changed and codes that had been not ignored but had been changed through the years and now we have to bring this up to code and that up to code? Were those things weighing on the, on the overall? Because you've obviously sort of redesigned it as well, mm -hmm. but behind the scenes, behind the walls and so on, was there a lot of utility sort of stuff that had to take place that you thought, oh, well, that's an expense we didn't count on. Yeah, I mean, we found a lot of surprises. <laughs> I mean, there was some, In every old building, some structural work that, some major structural work that we had to do. There was a lot of water damage over the years that yeah. we didn't, you couldn't see until you kind of got in the walls. Yeah. And just for the first floor, not the, yeah, was it a three-floor, three-story building? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and and is you, was your dad... Did your dad have any connections to construction or contracting and so on? Was there anybody who could come in with you and say, uh oh, you know, that, that looks like water damage. Uh oh, that looks like electrical work. Anybody like that who could? Not really. I mean, it was more than any of us. He had, he's done some home projects, but this sure. was a whole other ball game. <laughs> and then figuring out like the exhaust system, and now you have to have a makeup air fan that brings fresh air into a restaurant. The equivalent of that in the old Detondos was a hole in the back door that had a grate, and you just it was just open. <laughs> so there was a lot of yeah, um, open the front door and open the back door, and we'll get a cross breeze. Yeah. Wow. There was there was a lot there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that that okay. went into making it happen. But so how did the vision come? To, what was your vision for the place? Did you because as I said, it was originally you know a family restaurant, Italian you know mm -hmm. spaghetti and meatballs sort of place, but now it's really a much more upscale, 
What was your vision? Did you come in and say, I think we can do this with it or that with it? Or did, did it evolve? It pretty much evolved with the building. I mean, as we went, like we pulled down, there was a drop ceiling. When mm -hmm. we pulled down the drop ceiling and discovered there were six feet of space above the drop ceiling. Oh. And then we could see like the old facade, the window, the top windows that were all boarded over mm -hmm. and the sign was covering them outside. So then I found an old picture from the early 1900s that showed the facade. Oh. And so we were able to kind of just restore it to mm -hmm. basically as similar to the photo as we could. I see. And we found the old cast iron columns in the buried in the wall, the decorative columns that you'll see in the dining room. Yes, they're probably buried underneath plastered something or other. Yeah, it, we just tried to respect the building while making it, kind of giving it a clean slate that could be timeless. We wanted something that, you know, we weren't going to have to redecorate in five years. Yeah. Like, really just create a timeless space mm -hmm. that respected the history of the building and was efficient for operating a restaurant. I see. So little things just, like the bar is the original bar. That nice. got restored. Mm -hmm. The original plaster on the wall, we we ended up leaving a piece of Parts it. Parts of it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And beneath it is the brick. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. and, and is this place that we're in, sitting in right now, was this enclosed at the time? This, I assume, was the outside of the building at, at one it point. It was. This brick behind There was me. a building here. Where we're sitting there was a building at one point. Oh. There were several row houses that filled this space here. I see. But this was an outdoor patio. I think they enclosed it in the 80s. I see. But, so it's been a while. But, it's... but it's since been remodeled. I mean, there couldn't have been all this beautiful glass that, that I'm looking at In the at old now. Detondos? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this room we did very little to. It really? got some paint, some white paint, and a new floor. And other than that, it's exactly what it was. No kidding, because it looks... Mm -hmm. It looks modern. I mean, it looks like it was something that you designed and said, let's do this and let's do that and let's do this. But it really, it doesn't smack of old-fashionedness. And yet yeah. it looks very traditional and yet up-to-date, modern. Very clean, very well-designed. I, th I thought, honestly, I thought this was something that you added on to the original no, brick building. No, this has been here for... 40 years, probably, this and, room. and the outer patio there? The, well, it's not being used now, obviously, mm -hmm. but was that an addition of yours, or was that also? That was there. I it mean, we've was. done some landscaping, mm -hmm. but the, the patio was there. They used to do beautiful parties outside wow. at the old Detondos. It's always been a space where a lot of memories were made outside during the summer months. I'm sure it was, because mm -hmm. this was it, it was a neighborhood restaurant that I'm sure everybody around here has a memory of Ditando's and eventually we'll have one of Ditando as well. So now what about the kitchen? Did that have to did you go in there and say, "Oh my god, everything's from 100 years ago. We've got to pull all this out." And Fabio was thinking, "Yikes." <laughs> yeah. Well, we made it a little bit bigger. Uh -huh. I mean, it was a we cleaned it up. We kept as much equipment as we could. Mm -hmm. um, so actually, the old stove that's in there now is the old stove from Ditondo's. No kidding. We cleaned it up. It's a little small for us, but we've been using it until we can kind of move into something I newer. See. How many people work in the kitchen on a, on a normal evening here? 
So two line cooks and Fabio. Okay. And then we have a dishwasher in the back. Okay. So that because you you'd need the extra room for that, they probably didn't have that many people working in the original Ditondos. Well, they they were busy. Like yeah, on a that's Friday true. night, there were um, I don't remember exactly how many people they had in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. It's uh, that was a while ago yeah. that <laughs> now, I was working. Now that here. I think of it, it was probably dumb to say that because but, the place was hopping. But they had a good crew back there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who was who actually running it when it was finally closed down? The original. My second cousin and her husband. I see. So Rosemary and Al Roloff. Okay, and they were the ones who just said. We're tired. That's enough. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think they were ready to retire, I think. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and your dad told me that, so he owns the building. Yes. And you, you run the restaurant. What's your actual title? Runner of the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Jack of all trades. Absolutely. My title is co-founder and sommelier. So. Mm-hmm. And Fabio Designs, I'll tell you, my big, biggest disappointment, because I knew you started by opening in last January. It was open just for lunches. We did a year of lunch. Was that because of COVID, or was that because you're just getting your feet underneath you and trying to get a, get a feel for the place? Well, it, it was mostly because Ditando's was known for their lunch mm-hmm. Monday through Friday, and we really wanted to carry on that tradition. I see. Um, so we opened in October 2021 yes and we did lunches for a year and it was great but we had always planned on adding on dinner Mm -hmm. and we came to the realization at a certain point that we had to do one or the other that doing both was just not feasible i see right now for a series of reasons so we we decided to transition to dinner it was a difficult choice to end lunch because we really enjoy doing lunch and maybe in the future we can bring it back. Yeah, that was my disappointment um, because I thought, oh, I'll talk to Rita and then I'll have lunch. No, you won't. Because <laughs> I looked at the menu and I said, well, I have one of these and I have one of these and I have one of these. But did you just sort of move from lunch to dinners uh, or was there a time when you were doing both together? No, we we, clo- we ended lunch and then we were closed for several weeks and then we opened for dinner. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, the decision about the cuisine, the, the, the menu, I, I assume Fabio designs it and I don't know how often he changes it or if there are specials or whatever, but that's the decision to do that instead of becoming the old mom and pop Italian restaurant, that was something you had in mind all along? Yes. We knew we were going to change the menu, despite some warnings from people not to. Um, <laughs> but we believe that you have to, you know, do what you love and what you know how to do well. Mm-hmm. So this is the food that Fabio grew up with. Yes. And the food that he's, you know, cooked during his career. Um it would make sense for him to cook the Italian American food that was served here before because he it's not part of his culture at all. Sure. So so we decided to to focus on that and focus on regional cuisine, not limiting ourselves to one region. Mm. So we take inspirations from all over Italy. We have a dish on the menu, the orecchiette from Puglia. Mm-hmm. And then the, the pasta fresca, the tagliatelle, that's, is that's much more from the north, mm-hmm. which is fun because there is so much variety in Italian cuisine. Why limit ourselves to one one region, we decided. Yes, I've spent a lot of time watching so. Stanley Tucci 
go through Italy and uh, just mouth-watering dishes everywhere. And and as you just said, the variety. It, yeah. It's so different from this location to this right next door because they had grown to use what was available to them here. And mm -hmm. the Mediterranean wasn't available to them here, so they went with this. And it it really is fascinating. Do, do, you, do you imagine that you will change the menu for, let's say, summer hours to have a different menu? Does the menu change very often? Yeah, it, so we'll do four large um, seasonal changes. Oh, okay. So we had a lot more fresh vegetables during the summer months, mm -hmm. um, obviously. During the growing season, we had tomatoes that actually we did in the garden here. Oh, nice. Um, tomatoes, zucchini blossoms from the garden. So we will continue the garden next year. Um, we've kind of been growing it little by little. And who's in charge of the garden? Oh, that's you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's supposed to be Fabio, but it's a joint effort. Because <laughs> that's that's no easy thing to maintain a garden. But it's kind of a rude question to ask. But Buffalo's a really big food town for nice restaurants. Mm -hmm. So you are coming into a you're not competing with Denny's or, or you know you're competing with a lot of like you mentioned, I think earlier, hutches and uh, places like that. This is the type of cuisine that you have chosen. Mm -hmm. So that, doesn't that make you a little bit nervous to have stepped into this, I guess, competition? Nervous? No. no. Um, People warned you to stick with spaghetti and meatballs, <laughs> and you said, no, we're going to do something more elegant. Well, I think what we offer is different enough from what... Um, many other restaurants are offering mm -hmm. that it's a unique experience even among the fine dining restaurants in Buffalo. And well, how would, you, how would you describe yourself as a unique experience? What makes it a unique experience? Well, we tried, you know, our, our plan was to try and make it feel as much as possible like a trip to Italy when you walk in the door. So from the coffee, the beverage offerings, to how the menu is designed with antipasti, primi, secondi, contorni, to give, you know, the, the full experience as much as possible while also making people feel comfortable in recognizing that we are in Buffalo, not Italy. But hopefully it feels like a little vacation. You can sit back, relax, and have an experience that you don't have to get on a plane to Italy to have, but that is very reminiscent, if you have been to Italy, sure. of, of something that you experienced there. Oh, that's lovely. Because um, I, I looked at the menu. You know, it's not... It's not an overwhelming menu. You have a wide variety of things, but there are. it's limited. Here's what we do well. And he, as you said, prima, secondi, contorni, and so on. Sometimes you go to a restaurant and there's like pages and pages of stuff. You have a very focused on the Italian experience menu. Mm -hmm. and, and I just found that fascinating. How many people do you employ? Excuse me, first of all, how many hours are you open now? We are open Wednesday through Saturday. Okay. Wednesday and Thursday we are open 5 to 9. Mm-hmm. Um, so last reservation is 9 o'clock. Okay. And then Friday and Saturday, 5 to 9.30. And you have a beautiful, easy parking lot right next door, that, which, is, which is terrific mm -hmm. in the city to have that kind of uh, street parking and, and a parking and lot. And a parking lot, yeah. yes. And you employ how many people? Hmm. 
We employ a little over 10, a little over 10 people right now. Mm -hmm. And your seating capacity? 50. We have 50 seats. 50 seats. Okay. That sounds good. Inside. (laughs) Yeah. And in the summer months, you do you do full service out there on the patio? We will. You do. Okay. You have children? We have a little baby at home. Well, she's, I guess technically she's a toddler now. She is 16 months running all over the place (laughs) and keeping keeping us busy when we're not here. I bet, I bet. You have family here who can help, though, I hope. My parents have been a big help. My mom mom is actually picking her up at daycare today, so... (laughs) And so you haven't trained uh, your your daughter yet on the business uh, aspects of the restaurant, <laughs> not yet. No, but she she likes to come here and get into trouble, so she's <laughs> well on her way. Well, and, and there's probably not much that she can do to avoid, as you said, from from a very young age, you were involved in the original Dutondos, and you somehow got it into your blood, and went on to. The gastronomic sciences, and then the sommelier, and and I, I just wish you a lot of luck with this. I think it's it's just a great, great looking place. I'm, I'm so impressed with just the look of it inside when you walk in. And I don't remember the original Ditandos, but Ditando is elegant and yet family oriented. It, it looks beautiful. Well, thank so you, congratulations Peter. on that. Rita DeTondo, thank you so much. Wish you all the best of luck. I look forward to booking a table here at DeTondo. Well, thank you, Peter. <laughs> it was a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks again. Thank, thank you. you, Peter. Yes, that's the point. First the pumpkin, then the pumpkin spice, and then the turkey, and then, of course... Christmas. Oh, never mind. I'll tell you something. I can't wait to get over to Ditondo and try just about everything on the menu because that's the way it seems to me that it ought to be just like, give me one of everything. So, listen, if you haven't been over to see Guards at the Taj yet, get your tickets, go to roadlesstraveledproductions.org and get your tickets for Guards at the Taj. It closes on December 11th. It is a terrific show. What a beautiful production. The lighting, the sound, the set, the performances, and the play. And before you know it, it will make you think. And speaking of the play, guess what? I am going to be speaking to the playwright on the next episode of Off-Road. That's right. Rajiv Joseph will be here. It's the live performance. Actually, it's the live recording of the interview I had with him live in front of an audience at the Road Less Traveled Theater a week or so ago. And now in two weeks, it will be edited down for eh, for your enjoyment. But then eh, we're going to take a little time off for the holidays But we will be back in the new year with more of RLTP's Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano. 